I wish we could domesticate squirrels. That'd be fun. No, mm. why would you want that? As, as pets, That's basically just rats at that point. But the seagulls of the, the land. Tail. No, they they they're to steal your picnics and whatnot. <laughs> Uh, yeah, squirrels do get a little bit too bold when they're uh, acclimated to humans. They don't get domesticated. They just get really blasé about stealing stuff out of your backpack, <laughs> staring you in the eye the whole time. Mm-hmm. They don't become docile. They just become criminals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. I am Blue, and I'm joined by Red. Hello, I'm drinking a dubious attempt at doing a mocha. I'll do better next time. What's what's so dubious about it? Where did you go wrong? Uh, well, I basically tried to use the uh, hot cocoa mix that you guys so generously got me uh, as the base and then add a shot of cold brew on the top. And it, for some reason, just isn't working. I don't know what it is. Uh. Darn. I think I, I need to make it with a ganache next time. Well, it's, it's not really the cocoa go- mix because we, we got you only the best. We yeah, managed to load slaps. you up with like a lot of sweets over the course of the New Zealand trip because we had like we got you the cocoa thing. And then we also like independently brought some Easter chocolate. So yep. like for for you and, and, and Dominic Noble, it was just a, a whole like sweets on deck for a couple days there. And the only thing that the TSA kept flagging was the cocoa mix because it was a metal canister full of powder. Oh, so. yeah, that is sus, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, they pulled it out three separate times. <laughs> but I got Whoops. it. They didn't confiscate it. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> yes. Anyway, huh. we're in a bit of a silly mood this week. Uh, I, I blame... Zelda, uh, Zelda, yeah, Zelda. it's pre-Tears of the Kingdom jitters. We're all just counting the days at this point. Open up the switch, try to click into the Tears of the Kingdom preload, see if it'll just slip up and let us in. It says no, we try again five (laughs) seconds later in case we'll just catch it on the right moment. It says no, we turn off the switch two hours later, repeat. (laughs) Maybe a neutrino will pass through the exact right part of the switch at the right time and let me in. Yeah. Uh, Maybe if uh, if some people in the offices didn't quite communicate and accidentally send it out earlier. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. It was just like uh, accidentally flubs the thing. Like when I accidentally sent out my uh, Valentine's video fully nine hours early because I accidentally (laughs) set it to 1 a.m. instead of 11 a.m. Oh, that was great. Just hoping that that Steve Nintendo pulls that kind of trick on us. I was awake and working when that happened. And it was like, ooh, well, he's not going to be awake for a while. I'll just message him anyway, just in case. (laughs) I saw someone reference that on the subreddit a couple days ago. It's like, yeah, yeah, sometimes sometimes OSP does those kinds of funny things. Like when Blue posted a video seven hours early. Sometimes. Oh, boy. I've been playing Animal Crossing for the first time in months just because I need to feel something Switch-related before Friday. <laughs> oh, boy. Anyway. Um, yeah, but speaking of speaking of games, a perfect segue. Oh, yeah. Um, I was it. at uh, PAX last month with, with our buddy Adam, Ludo History, and we had a panel that we mentioned before in previous episodes, but that right. panel has finally gone up on the channel as a detailed diatribe. And uh, I am I'm pretty pleased with uh, the fact that everybody gets to see it now because obviously we had a, a, a huge audience. It was like almost a thousand people there in the room. Yeah. Uh, and that was uh, by far, probably by an order of magnitude, the most people who'd ever been uh, at a panel I was giving because we had done the one at uh, ShyCon Worldcon last year, right. which was like pretty good, like like you know seventy five, like hundred fifty ish, like you know pretty solid. And then I was like, okay, like that's the number I'm expecting. Mm-hmm. And we get into the room and it's like, oh, this is a large room. It's not going to fill up. And then it like <laughs> kind of filled up. Like, oh, geez. And it's uh, packs <laughs> on a Thursday too, so you know they weren't expecting that. <laughs> yeah, and it was like. 
because PAX, you know, panels started like, you know, 10 a.m. ish, and we were like 2 o'clock on a Thursday, so definitely not the headliners, and I wasn't asking mm-hmm. to be. No. But it was like, yeah, you know, you know we'll, we'll get a reasonable audience, and it was just like waves and waves and waves of people. It was really fun, so uh, I'm <laughs> glad that the people who were there can now listen to it again, and the people who weren't there can actually get a chance to uh, uh, to listen to it. It was a good conversation. I'm really pleased with uh, the way we were able to to kind of put it together because the the sort of like in joke of the the panel is that oh you know if we have this panel and then tell game developers how to make good historical games they'll go and do it and then everything <laughs> will be fine uh, and obviously that's not it and and as Adam and I were kind of concepting out the idea of the panel like okay what's our pitch like like why do we hurt ourselves you know why answer this question as we're like writing the outline what's the goal and i was thinking like oh you know well maybe if we have these conversations we can adam's like yeah no <laughs> and then adam <laughs> kind of gave his answer which was like yeah you know because games are a really fascinating version of reception studies where we're seeing the, these things that are you know products of a modern time period but also you know react to the past in a certain way and then i was like yeah no and then eventually <laughs> we figured out the you know we, we we play these games because when it works it's it's an experience like like nothing else in terms of being in a moment in history um but we were able to kind of turn like our early like actual rough draft ideas of like why we're doing this panel and we're able to slide that into the the reasoning of like you know and then we we made a joke out of it and that was <laughs> uh, a good time. I'm glad we did actually have one person who works at a AAA studio in the audience towards the front so that we could see when they raised their hand and it was like, does anyone actually work at a AAA studio making historical <laughs> games? Okay, you to the front, everyone else out. <laughs> um, I'm glad we were able to, to crack that joke because we had oh, we had a couple man. different versions of like like what what the joke is depending on, on how many people or, or how none people uh, there are in that scenario. So eh, it was a good time. Yeah. Live panels are always fun. They're they're quite a different beast than we normally do, of course, because yeah. as A, it's live without a script, and B, there's a living audience that's reacting rather than you just record it and then you see the feedback like two weeks later. Yeah. Um, I had to actually pause for laughter for the first time ever. I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> I Hold on. I can't just keep going. I need to stop for a second. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun. And... Um, a very exciting, like first big panel too, yeah. um, because yeah, we seriously. we did the Worldcon thing, and I I'd, I've been on panels before, but I was not at PAX, uh, so this was this was you and Adam doing your own thing, and and it went super well, which yeah. is awesome. And we got to meet a bunch of people afterwards uh, at a little fan meetup later on the evening, which was a really good time. Got to yeah. talk to a lot of. Just, you know, normal people um, who are, are real life and not just comments on a video, which really makes <laughs> it make sense. You know, like, like oh, like, this is actually our audience here in real life. I, I never get to see you guys. Um, so that yeah. was a real, uh, a real treat. Some real, yeah. real fun interactions, uh, fun stories that people told. Um, just being able to kind of like walk around, chat with people, crack some jokes and... Uh, <laughs> It, it was a really nice time. It was a great experience. And I'm looking forward to, to doing it again uh, next year. I mean, if that was any indication, yeah. uh, we got to come back. So oh, we'll, yeah, absolutely. we'll have to find a new new panel idea. Um, I'm not sure what else uh, I can say that the, the panel doesn't really say already because the, the benefit of the detailed diatribes is they are pretty thorough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean... 
Yeah, I mean, it was very experimental as a detailed diatribe because normally we record them together, cut them down a little bit. This one was just like, hey, this comes pre-finished, basically. Like, <laughs> Yeah, more or just, less. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was trying to figure out how to actually, like, visually structure what was going to happen in the screen because we had the benefit of audio and the visuals from the podcast recording. I was thinking we just do like the little 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 chibi guys on the couch and I'm like, oh no, we have our real expressions and my <laughs> my wild gesticulating that usually never gets captured when I'm recording or on the podcast, but my arms move a lot when I talk. It's the latent Mediterranean in me. So I was like, well, I gotta find a way to put this in. And then I had to, to wrestle with the in-lore implications of like, if I have us on screen... Do we also have the little plushies because then we're doubled up and then it's like, eh. So eh. I, I managed to confuse myself into like, eh, never mind. Um, <laughs> so the people are like, then what's all the bottom real estate of the screen doing? And I'm like, I don't know, man. I was trying to figure out a way to make it work. Um, yeah, two projectors and the the whole lore of the armchair room is all busted up. Uh, <laughs> so if we ever do that again, I'll have to find a better way to, to, to physically like represent... Um, ourselves in the space uh and how to incorporate the the kind of double framing but oh well i yeah, i was experience. going to to record ourselves with like my local little travel mic and then the people there were like oh you know don't worry we record a copy of it and we'll be able to send it to you afterwards i'm like oh okay great so i didn't bother with recording it and then later that night i was like you know i just want to be able to have this now i'm gonna just just like pull up the the twitch vod and just screen download it right now, just in case, because it might get overwritten in a couple days once they get more VODs in, because Twitch doesn't save anything beyond like five videos. Terrifying. Because Twitch doesn't do VODs, which is madness. Um, but I also sent an email to the, the coordinator, like, oh, you know, hey, could I could I get this thing? And of course, the person who's coordinating packs was just absolutely mobbed. So by the time I was like getting ready to, to make the video a few days later, I'm like, <laughs> I'm just gonna use this version that I have right now. I'm not gonna wait for the official one, and then I they never ended up getting back to me. So because uh, they were just extremely busy, so I was like, okay, good, good. I I had the right vod. Uh, I just I downloaded a copy before it got overwritten. Ended up being fine. Um, if I wasn't paranoid, maybe we would have lost the the footage uh, in, entirely, or at least not have had it in time for for the upload date. But uh, a little bit of a. Uh, uh, <laughs> a game of how do I wrangle these digital files that aren't currently on my hard drive? Mm, yeah. Uh, the spicy world of file management, always a terrifying aspect of any yeah. <laughs> any live to recorded uh, transition. But, yeah, so next time I might just record it myself and cut up the middleman. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I think we need to get you and Adam in a room together more often because the dynamic is just immediately funny. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's such a, a fun energy of, like, Adam is the guy who, like, like trained as a historian, knows what he's doing, and I'm this, like, disgusting classicist generalist who doesn't specify into one particular topic or field, uh, who doesn't have, like, rigid historical training. It's just like, oh, you know, I... I did classics. I did a lot of Civ stuff. I haven't really done all that many classes on, like, historian's craft. Mm -hmm. I kind of got it, like secondhand in a lot of the things I'm doing. So it's like, oh gosh, like uh, I'm so hopelessly outclassed <laughs> in terms of just a uh, raw um, like degree having historian-ness because now uh, I think Adam actually, uh, um, by the time this, this episode goes up, he will be about to uh, graduate uh, his third degree. So the joke from the, the panel is that there are four degrees between us and he has three of them. <laughs> um, but it's a, uh, it, it's a fun dynamic. <laughs> yeah. No, it's fantastic. I always like being the one person who doesn't know shit when I'm in the room with you guys because it's so <laughs> relaxing. I can just fucking 
vamp and have a good time while you guys are doing all the heavy lifting. We're losing our minds over the the specific construction of a historical time period in a game, and you're just sipping tea or coffee in the background, like, oh, I'm a, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> well, the reason, I, I, I've said this before, like, uh, the, the, the writer who I think um, handled all this the absolute best was Tolkien, because he was a historian, and he basically was like, I have all these cool ideas, but rather than trying to work them into a pseudo-historical context, I'm just going to make a nice little bucket and I'm going to call it Middle Earth, and I'm going to put all my cool ideas in there. And it was genius because it meant he could put all of his rad shit in there without, you know, polluting the world of actual historical research. Uh, yeah. So when I'm like, oh, this is neat, it's it, it, there's like a little question of like, oh, was that historical? And sometimes it's yes and sometimes it's no, but mostly it's like, that's pretty cool. Into the fantasy bucket it goes, and then that's where it ends for me. So like... <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I feel like a lot of these video games would be happier if they just committed fully to the fiction that they are uh, rather than trying to to be something that they're not prepared to be. Anyway, so the other video that happened uh, in the last couple weeks was mine. It was the trope talk on Bathos, uh, which is fun because most of the people who started that video were like, what's that? And then by the end, they were like, oh, I have oh, so many strong opinions about this, which is ideal. It's exactly or, what I wanted. Or uh, some of the comments are like, didn't she already do one on this? And then open it up <laughs> and it's like, I talked about this in the lampshading trope talks. Like, ah, yep, uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I just thought it was worth a further exploration because, you know, lampshading was kind of its own thing and I didn't want to dilute the message of that too far. But when I started unpacking Bathos, I was like... <laughs> I was fucking goleming about it. I was like, I don't hate Bathos, but it's so annoying, precious. But it's no, it's it's good actually. There's it's got a use. Look at into the Spider Verse. It hates us, precious. So that was just the fucking background radiation of my brain the whole time I was writing that script. Um, and I tried so hard to find good examples that were not just into the Spider Verse because I could have just used that for all of them. And it's always fun when I have a when I have a trope talk like that. It's just like, look, I know there's other good examples, but there's really one good example. And it's yeah, just going to be the that. one shining example that makes everything work. And any other good examples are just like little sprinkles on the side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They get a little dash of Kung Fu Panda 2, a smattering of over the garden wall, and then like 30 straight minutes of Spider-Verse. Good. Let's talk about it. Because it's so satisfying when you get a trope that it's like on paper, it's a, oh, this trope is a, this is a bad thing trope. And then you mm. get the perfect example of like, no. Wrong. Here is the the only piece of media you need to recognize to to feel that oh, actually, in fact, this can be used well. It is it, the whole movie is a repudiate. No, that's the refute repudiate. I feel like is repudiation the is the correct word, but because this was like a Sarah Palin thing where she invented a word by combining <laughs> two of them. Uh, hold on. Oh yeah, she said repudiation. Never mind. Repudiation um, is a rejection of a thing. Yeah. Yeah, a repudiation of Bathos Bad, and it's like, all you need to do is point to, like, tap the sign of, like, Spider-Verse exists. <laughs> but that's the thing, like, I had to have that argument with myself because I have been complaining nonstop about insincerity in media and and cool moments being undercut and profound character arcs being trashed for comedy, and it's it annoys me so much. So I had to kind of pump the brakes and be like, no, hold on, that's not the fault of the comedy, it's the fault of the timing of the comedy. That's the problem. Um, I <laughs> I think my lowest point before I started working on this was when I had a movie night with some friends and we watched um, we watched Thor 4, Love and Thunder. Mm. Uh, and um, I've, here's the thing. I've been in the minority of this for 
years at this point. Uh, I didn't like Thor Ragnarok very much. Um, That's right. I, I forgot about that. Yeah, this is my hottest take in the Marvel Universe. I am a fan of regal Shakespearean serious character mm, Thor. That's right. And he is completely unrecognizable from wacky funny man, he's right behind me, isn't he? Thor Ragnarok Thor. And everyone likes that Thor better because he's in a better movie but he's not a better character. Anyway, so I've been mad about this for years. And the problem is Taika Waititi is a better writer than the writers that did Thor 1 and 2. Thor 1 is fine. It's a thin slice of white bread of a movie. It's fine. Thor 2 is bad, but it's got some good bits. And then Thor 3 is like a fucking fireworks explosion. And nobody in that movie is recognizable as themselves. And they they undercut the destruction of Asgard with a joke. Oh, the foundations are strong. Oh, never mind. There go the foundations. I was so mad about that. For yeah. weeks. And then they kept turning Thor into more of a joke in the later movies. And Thor is my boy. You all know this. He's the best part of Earth's Mightiest Heroes because he's the only serious character most of the time. And it's good, but serious in a way that he takes himself seriously. Anyway, I've been mad about this for years. And then Thor 4 came out and everyone else was like, huh, you know, for some reason, this is really annoying me. And I'm like, oh, now you figure it out. Now you realize that this is actually not cool. Welcome to hell, buckos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that Taika Waititi is a very funny person who needs somebody slapping his hands away from the keyboard sometimes, like, to tell him, like, no, we're going to play this one straight, actually. Not every scene can be a punchline, and the screaming goats aren't that funny, man. Uh, I'm sorry, we, we all got over this ten years ago. So, that is my hottest spicy take of the MCU. I've seen a few people be like, oh, Red hates the MCU, and it's like, uh, Red didn't always feel that way. <laughs> Red once loved it, and then Red was disillusioned. And now she's frustrated with how it's been going in lazier directions. And she feels like she has to rewatch all of it from the beginning to see if it was ever truly good or if she was just young. <laughs> so I um, I, it's, it's, I, happen- I don't hate it. I'm disappointed. It's a yeah. different thing. I happened upon my uh, old Homer video where I mentioned that um, the the MCU is essentially structured in such a way as it's it's very similar to the epic cycle mm. because it's all these these interconnected stories that that build to something that individually they're you know they're kind of like okay um, but then together it's like oh wow you actually see arcs of characters like between stories and it's like that's really cool um, and I was laying it on really thick in that video I'm like <laughs> oh I mean it's it's not that deep blue it's just it's a it's just well, a web of know. movies rather than a linear set. <laughs> well, the thing is, that was back at the time when the when the MCU felt like it was full of this potential of, hey, things are actually building from movie to movie. It's all coming together. Infinity and then it kind of became... we're right on the horizon, yeah. Right. But then after that, it became clear, like, okay, every writer is not communicating with each other. And they all have their own ideas for these characters. And a lot of them are willing to completely throw out previous work just to, you know, pursue whatever they want to do with these characters. Um, and that's not always bad because uh, at time of recording and time of the video going up, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 has just come out. I have not yet seen it, but I have heard very, very good things about it yeah. um, in the specific dimension of this is a movie that knows when to shut the fuck up and stop trying to be funny. All right. Yeah, let's do that. And it sounds really good. I actually do want to watch this one. This is the first movie since Shang-Chi that I've actually wanted to watch. Yeah. Um, and it's... Uh, it, it's it's promising and cool, and it feels like James Gunn as a as a creator has had a pretty good sense for what scenes can afford to be funny and what scenes have to play straight. Uh, and this has been true since um, the earlier Guardians movies. Like I, I used some examples of in universe bathos as like this is the character is 
undercutting the severity of the scene on purpose. Um, Rocket Raccoon does that a lot with the taser face thing, but like that's after a truly horrifying scene of all the Ravagers getting fucking spaced out the airlock. And it's like, nobody's making jokes about that because it's deeply haunting. Hooray. Um, so again, it's 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 not a matter of comedy bad. It's a matter of like when is the right time to make a joke and when isn't, yeah. and uh, that's and a even, skill. Like even the the archetypical bad example of like when they're all having their their big moment in rockets, like look at us, bunch mm-hmm. of jackasses standing in a circle. That makes sense in character because Rocket is very afraid of admitting that these people can't actually be his family. Yeah. So that's his way of being like, nah, I'm not invested. It's not yeah. <laughs> the writers being embarrassed, it's Rocket being embarrassed. And that actually, like, within the context of the other movies, it it makes more sense yeah. than it originally might have on, on a, a cursory viewing before we recognize, like, oh, God, Rocket's, like, really got some stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the stuff uh, in the first movie, which I would say is probably where where it's at its most off-balance, and it's still quite good. It's just, you know, it's a little bit shaky. Um, there are two scenes where they were like, we absolutely have to play this 100% straight. And the first one is the very beginning, where Star-Lord's mom dies. Yeah. And the second is the very end, where they're all holding hands to save the world, and he sees a vision of his dead mom again. <laughs> and I was like, these are the scenes that cannot be jokes. And the fact that all of these characters are deeply hurting people who deflect with comedy excuses a lot of trouble with um, with with the timing and the balancing of the comedy. But as the movies go on, it only seems to get better. And it's, it's good. It seems like a good thing, and yeah. I, I like that. But... The the bathos trope talk uh, did really really well. Yeah, no, it was, it was a really good one. <laughs> As and of this morning, crazy. time of recording. We're recording this on Monday. It was still trending this morning. Wow, <laughs> at like forty six. Um, so I'm glad people like it. I had a good time with it. It was it was rather cathartic. Um, and uh, I did see a few people being like, "That's what I've been having trouble with." Even even some people who are like, "I'm a writer and I've been having trouble trying to figure out why my writing hasn't been working," and it's because I've been doing this. I've been undercutting the serious moments. It's like, yes, good, it's yeah. working. Um, Last thing I want to throw in as uh, more praise for the videos that I obviously uh, every time you do a, a trope talk, there are different color coordinations and and themes that are kind of represented in color. And I thought this one was um, a really great use of one where you know the the sincere version is purple, but the bathos is all orange. Mm. And the the one frame that I really really liked was where there's two people fighting on screen. It's like you betrayed yeah. me, ah, you're a brother to me, or whatever it was. Yep. And then some guy in the audience is like, oh, look at that idiot caring. And then the next frame, you put it into the mouth of the other guy where he becomes orange. And it's like, oh, look at this idiot for caring. That was just such a perfect encapsulation of the the intent of the writer to just undercut themselves and cut up the middleman and go straight to the assumed audience reaction. And I thought that was a really, really clever way to show that thought process in a frame for a trope talk. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. That, I feel like there were parts of this where I wasn't entirely sure how to illustrate it, but that one I was like, no, I got it. I know exactly what's wrong here. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So was that was that was the videos of the last couple weeks. Uh, as a fun sneak peek for a video coming in a couple more weeks, uh, we have some posters up on our crowdmate shop now uh, for some of the nine realms of Norse mythology. Uh, I had a lot of fun making these. Um, there was a bit of a miscommunication at various points. It's fine. Uh, the posters are currently available and will be uh, pretty much in perpetuity as far as we can yeah. tell. Uh, New permanent stock item is the goal. Yeah. yeah. So hope you guys like them. They're pretty neat. We'll yeah. pop a link for those in the uh, thing. So. Yep. Usual yeah. uh, crowdmade.com slash OSP. 
uh, purveyor of fine pins and mm. other assorted items. But uh, yes, we with that, uh, we can hop on over to the Q&A portion of the podcast. Yes. Hello and welcome to the Q&A portion of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast, where we answer your questions from Ask OS Pod on Discord. This first question comes from one of our lovely patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, support the channel, consider becoming a patron for a chance to have your question read first on a future episode. This question comes from Darius Sobritus to Blue. What goes into making a good flag? flag. That's a fantastic question. Um, oh boy, if how I much were... time do you got? <laughs> no, I mean, because, I, like, there's the whole, like, the seven rules of vexillology or whatever the fuck it is, um, where you oh, have, yeah. like... We've all seen them. We all well, know no, those, the rules of that. Uh, yeah, the time knife, we've all seen it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, keep it simple, use meaningful symbolism, two or three mm-hmm. basic coloring, no letters, be distinctive or be related, and so simple a child can draw it kind of thing. It's like, okay, and then you get a bunch of flags that either all look like the flag of France, but like slightly different or they all look like corporate logos and that's the problem is whenever people on reddit come up with flag designs is like this looks like a company logo because they were using the five rules of flag design too much um so frankly the the perfect counter example that i can throw out is the flag of venice because it's so complicated none of the shapes make sense it has tails on the flag that's a horrible design (laughs) choice you can't hang it horizontally but Nothing else on planet Earth looks like it, and that is what counts. So that's how I feel about the Mexican flag too. We learned oh, how to draw that Mexican in middle school, where it's like, oh, we got an eagle with a snake in its talons sitting on a cactus. Fuck yeah, yeah get in there. No. <laughs> Mexican flag A plus. Um, I, it's tricky because there's so many ways to design a flag that will just look like. Someone on Reddit designed it, and it looks like it's a company logo, <laughs> which I it's so much crueler than I mean for it to be, but. <laughs> I Look think be be bold. Um, don't don't do the first thing that pops into your head because that'll usually be a little a little too too simple. Be be willing to be a little more finicky with it. Like the new Utah flag, super super cool. Um, it's a couple different stripes, uh, some kind of like mountainy lines, a beehive design. It's 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 cool. I mean, it is you know simple ish. What the? But... <laughs> I'm sorry. It's getting controversy for being woke. <laughs> It's it's Utah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just a it's just a oh beehive in a hexagon with a. It's, oh, for God's it's sake. Mormon iconography. How is that? <laughs> God, pe- people on the right. I fucking swear. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> what was the question again? Like how good to make flag it design. Dis- good flag how design. Make, yeah. How to make a good flag? It's yeah. a, a beehive flag. in a hexagon in a mountain range with a star under it. It looks fine. It's it's honestly. Good design. You can clock yeah. it from a mile away. You know exactly what Simple, it is. Clean. Be, I think, be willing to. Sorry, go ahead. Well, the thing is, not to derail this into something yeah. I actually know about, but there is overlap uh, between this and like what makes a good T-shirt design. In that, mm. it kind of needs to be centered and it needs to look good, even if it's not in ideal circumstances. So, like a flag yeah. needs to be recognizable when it's in motion, when it's far away, when it's flapping high up. A T-shirt needs to look good when you have boobs or are in motion or are far away, and like that—that's not always super easy. But a lot of it involves a kind of centralized design that has a recognizable silhouette from a distance and details up close. So like the new Utah flag, it's like, okay, there's a big hexagon in the middle and kind of a jagged upper line that looks like a mountain range. That's pretty solid. You can clock that from like 50 feet away when it's flapping on the ground. It's like, oh, there's a hexagon in the middle, Utah flag. But when you get close, it's like, oh, beehive with a little star under it. That's nice. Like, it's not just a solid chunk of color. So 
So designing something with a with a bold and recognizable silhouette from a distance is a good start, and then with you know fun little actual details yeah. in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think um, to to shout out the flags of both Washington D.C. and Chicago, which are mm. uh, stripes and stars, um, <laughs> but in such a way as they look cool. Uh, it's really clever and crafty to be able to use a little design element that can be plucked off of the flag and still work on its own. Yeah. Such as like the the DC red and white color scheme, very distinctive, very cool. Uh, the Chicago kind of like light blue, red star color scheme, very distinctive, very cool. You can just take that star off of the flag and people who are at least vaguely in the know are like, oh, that's the Chicago star. Yeah. And being able to do that with elements of your flag is a really cool, like, second-level effect where it's like, you know, you take the little hexagon beehive off the Utah flag and you can just use that in other things, and Mm -hmm. that works really well. You Um, can show everyone how woke you are. (laughs) God. These are my anti-racist bees. (laughs) (laughs) Do these conservative lawmakers not have enough going on in their lives that they need to invent things to be mad about now? I mean, it's not even the conservative lawmakers. Utah's a conservative state. Utah is (laughs) so conservative. to bring in the new flag. Oh, God. It's explicit religious symbolism. God, people are so fucking stupid. Um, <laughs> the controversy aside, perhaps we should continue on. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Let's no, do it. No, I mean, props to the Utah flag. Glad they have it. Um, there's no, I, I feel like there's no single way to make a good or a bad flag. There are a lot, like, people like stripes. Stripes feel like an easy way to do it. And then there's the fucking god-awful barcode flag of the EU that everyone dunks on because it looks stupid. It was um, a proposed, it wasn't an actual thing. It was, it was a thought care. experiment. Uh, and also. <laughs> and it does look stupid as shit. You're yeah. right. There was, um, there was a quiz I took a while back where it's like, is it a pride flag or a country flag? And I got it completely oh. right because you actually can tell the difference because almost all mm. country flags use white uh, primary colors like red, blue, green, yellow. Pride flags use pastels for the most part. Grays, things that don't necessarily print well on an actual fabric, but you know you can easily do with a paint bucket on a digital design thing. So like it, it's it's actually remarkably easy to tell the difference. And once I noticed that, I was like, oh shit, there's like flag design aesthetics, and there aren't really that many interesting leaps being taken in current real world flag design. It's basically you got stripes, you got a symbol in the middle. That's it. And, yeah. you know, then I mean, you even if you get a symbol, <laughs> I mean, France yeah. is like famously three colors. And a couple of years back, Emmanuel Macron changed the, the flag shade. The blue is a little bit darker. People lost their goddamn minds. Uh. It's, it does look better now, but it's also like you just you change the color to a different hex code. Like that's not we're not innovating. <laughs> not that they need to innovate the French flag. It's very iconic. But like, mm. you know, to your point, country flags aren't exactly going through, you know, big leaps and bounds of, of design innovation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the problem is a flag is, you know, how a country identifies itself to other countries. If they change it too much, it's like a company rebranding. People aren't going to necessarily know what they're looking at. Um, so most of the flags were all kind of designed in roughly the same interval of time. And anytime they come up with a new flag nowadays, it's like, what if we went to space? We should come up with a flag for like... If we go to space, and it's like, yeah, why not? Let's do a fucking design competition for if we go to space. Um, God, I don't know. Flags as are cool. As soon as Britain like... colonizes the moon, they'll have a flag ready to go. Oh, you think Britain has the money to colonize? The... Britain doesn't even have the money to colonize Britain right now. <laughs> Great. Well, that question covered so much more than flags, so let's move on to another one. Oh, please tell me this one also has stuff about Utah. This one, hilarious. I picked this question because I think that the people that's directed at is incredibly funny. And then more importantly, the person who it is not 
directed at is even funnier. So this oh. question comes from Sorcerer Pizza Supreme. To Red and Indigo, how long have you been adult fans of Lego and how were you introduced to Lego? <laughs> I'll see y'all in the next question. Oh my God. Go off. I have Go to off. assume this was put uh, in Ask Us Pod after like a stream or something that maybe you and I were right on Red and Blue was not because there's no OSP universe where Blue is not the dominant Lego fan the, of this trio. The Lego, per- the guy who He's the Lego for guy. fun goes on those little <laughs> online Lego designer and builder things and builds little buildings and then orders the pieces to build the little building in real life and yeah. then gives them as presents, one of which I have on my shelf. Um, I have, I was not even a Lego kid. I, we had like two big buckets of Legos. I didn't get the point. I tried to build things that could fly out of them and it didn't work. And then I was disappointed. Um, I I have recently taken to acquiring those little, like, you know, random minifigs, uh, because they were selling Muppets ones. Yeah. (laughs) But then they stopped selling them in the place I could Mm. get them. So I only have two of them. I have animal and I have whichever of Statler and Waldorf uh, is bald, uh, (laughs) And he, now he's forever without his partner, and I hope Aww. everyone's happy. Uh, and I built a little Star Wars X-Wing yeah. the other day, but that one that was, was also, I yeah, thanks. like Legos. In, I, I liked them a lot as a kid. Like, we inherited my mom and all of her brother's old bin of, like, the 80s space Legos. And mm. we just had, the, it was a big plastic bin, and it was completely unsorted. And I just dig through that and play with that for years. And, like, we would, one of me or my siblings would always get a Lego set of some kind for Christmas. And then I kind of hit college and high school. And I was like, well, now I don't have a hundred bucks to spend on Legos anymore. So I guess we're not doing this. They're so expensive. I love, it kills me because I love the Lego flowers, but I don't want my whole apartment to just be decorated with various Lego flower sets. (laughs) Also, they're like minimum a hundred bucks. But I do have the peace lilies and they are, or no, birds of paradise. And they're really cool. I like them a lot. I got the, um, the, the not the fucking Deku tree. Good God, um, <laughs> Zelda, bonsai Zelda, tree. Zelda. The bonsai tree. One oh, brain we're cell. Su- we're and suffering, man. We can feel it. <laughs> I got the bonsai tree, and Cleo knocked it over like five times. And then I got Aww. the flowers. Uh, and then I got like one more set of flowers afterwards because yeah. I think they they came out with like tulips too. Um, bring those to the Netherlands in 1605. Make a pretty penny. Um, that's a joke about the uh, tulip bubble uh, in the Netherlands. Um, good God. Uh, what am I talking about? I eventually Everywhere. had to cut myself off from the Lego flowers because I'm like, I'll just keep buying these forever. I have to decide yeah. to be done. Um, so there are a bunch of Lego sets that are like, oh, that'd be really cool. I don't have space for it. Cool. Not mm-hmm. not buying it. <laughs> we had like one set of Mega Blocks accidentally looped in with the, the Legos. And it always frustrated me that they didn't quite fit together. They weren't quite mm. flush. So we had, it was like some, I think we had a little medieval castle mega blocks set just with all the normal, like brightly colored Legos. Um, and somewhere along the line, I think we were given one Bionicle uh, from possibly a confused grandparent. Um, oh, we can't bring Bionicle into this. Haven't the main I thing I played enough. with, uh, uh, unlike you, you squares playing with Lego bricks, I had like a little like pirate ship playset and like a treehouse playset that I built myself and, and had these little wooden guys that hung out on them. <laughs> and I told very exciting stories about people getting kidnapped by pirates with them. Yeah, there um, was nothing I liked more than taking the little like one block lego pieces and putting a little hat on them and then just making incredibly miniature little like layouts of like towns and things like this was young indigo's go-to lego booth take the one base plate that we had and just like section it off into little apartments genius (laughs) 
big. Wow. I we like how we're like all sets. so weird in completely incompatible ways. Yeah. <laughs> like I've got the fucking Dread Pirate Roberts over here and you're doing city planning. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, we'd never be friends in real life. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, but if anyone in this podcast is an adult fan of Lego, it's 100% blue. Please direct all Lego-related inquiries to him. <laughs> I was given a box of little Lego Among I the other month uh, that has just nice. been sitting on my desk with no idea what to do with them. <laughs> they all have different hats yeah. and arms, which is a little um, bit cursed. Anyway. I don't think those are those are real Lego. I think it's a... <gasps> It's a knockoff. Those might be knock-offs. I've been mega blocked again. <laughs> yeah, you got mega blocked. I'm sorry. No! I have similar knockoff. Uh, I got a bunch of the Evolutions as a birthday gift from a friend. Now that I live on my own focus right while we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> Ziggy's been really into knocking them over recently, so they might have to get moved. Yeah. Um, but, but speaking wow. of Ziggy, there's actually some cat-related questions. So why don't we jump Ooh. on over to that? This one Let's comes see. from Vivian. She, her, to Red. We know Indigo has Ziggy and Blue has Cleo. Do you have any pets? And if not, what animal would you want as a pet? I have been contemplating this. Uh, so the, the pie-in-the-sky dream is, of course, multiple dogs. However, the current living circumstances, that's not practical. Um, and I would not be able to do those dogs justice because I, uh, if I have the option, I don't tend to leave the building more than like once every two weeks. Uh, and that's just not good for dogs. So that would be bad. So, so when, my, when my circumstances change, perhaps if I acquire a house out in the wilderness, then <laughs> fuck ton of dogs is plan A. Um, but I have been considering the possibilities. A uh, cat would obviously be the easy choice. However, I am allergic to them. And mm. uh, while that might go away with time, it also might get worse with exposure. So it's not necessarily... <laughs> I like having a clean living space too much to automatically fill it with fur that I am <laughs> allergic to. Um, I was looking into uh, other possibilities. Uh, currently, the one that's closest to maybe becoming a reality is actually rats. Um, mm. They're remarkably clean little animals, very social, uh, cute little tube sock animals. Um, this was my uh, compromise from going straight to ferrets uh, because uh, ferrets are also fun little tube sock animals, uh, but they are stinkier uh, and more destructive on account of being burrowing critters. Um, none of this is a thing yet slash possibly ever. Again, I like having a clean living space. <laughs> Other people and animals in it make that difficult. But, you know, this is something I've been, I've been pondering. Uh, yeah, um, I might just start doing plants at this point, honestly. Makes things easier for myself. I wish we could domesticate squirrels. That'd be fun. No, mm. why would you want that? As, as pets. That's basically just rats at that point. But the seagulls of the, the land. No! <laughs> They, they're there to steal your picnics and whatnot. <laughs> uh, yeah, squirrels do get a little bit too bold when they're uh, acclimated to humans. They don't get domesticated. They just get really blasé about stealing stuff out of your backpack, <laughs> staring you in the eye the whole time. Mm-hmm. They don't become docile. They just become criminals. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My brother had a pair of rats when we were growing up for a while hmm. there, and they were pretty unobtrusive. To, That's uh, the thing. They're, they just kind of chill, yeah. do their own thing. He exclusively called them fancy rats, which I've understood is just the term, but I, I can't really honestly tell you anything more about them than that. Um, yeah. There's yeah, a bit of a rat get into plants. Hit <laughs> <Give> me up. <laughs> <laughs> I know oh, what boy. absolutely cannot under any circumstances be killed as a houseplant. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, boy. Terrifying. All right. Well, this next question comes from Femina Kalwa Wolans. Uh, to all... 
I recently found out I'm going to be starting grad school this fall in Indigo's native Philly. However, I've never lived in a city before and have a poor sense of direction. What advice do you have about getting adjusted to a new place or Philadelphia itself? P.S. Yes, my username is an Avatar The Last Airbender reference in Latin. Um, Cities are great. Welcome to... Welcome to the city of Philadelphia, baby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> city living. Yeah. All of us have lived in a city for a good portion of our life. Uh, yeah. Yes. If, I think I'm the only one who's lived in Philadelphia, but. Yes. I've been in terms to of adjusting to new times, places. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think the first thing off the bat is that um, you're going to have to go personally introduce yourself to Gritty. Um, just to get acclimated, he can no, show you around. You're not going to find him just walking the streets. You're thinking of the fanatic. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Gritty no. only sticks to the caves. <laughs> <laughs> you run into Gritty. Gritty. You Gritty, when I looked out. back, I saw only one set of footprints. <laughs> <laughs> I went to a Phillies game recently, and we were having a, a good portion of the um, first half of the discussion from the game was just like, so the fanatic walked so Gritty could run, right? Like we're all, <laughs> in terms of weird dude mascots, Philly's holding it down. Um, but no, I, Philly as a city, like there's some advice that applies to any city you can move to. But the one thing that I will say for your sense of direction is that most of the city of Philadelphia is on a grid. So as long as you mm-hmm. can understand the going from like 10th to 13th is walking three blocks in one direction, you're probably going to be okay. Especially given where most of the grad schools are in the city, you're probably yeah. going to be on the grid. Um, yeah. I'd I say would say, if, uh, yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Red. Well, a good place to start would probably be like, all right, where's your grocery store? Mm-hmm. Um, possibly like where's like a hospital if you need to get checkups or stuff like that. Just like uh, where's parks that you might want to walk to or hang out in? Um, where's a place that's open 24 hours if your grad school schedule goes completely bananas yeah. and you need food at 3 a.m.? Um, because like cities are very big uh, but they're also very dense, so usually you will be able to find within easy walking distance of your place of residence, grocery store, um, drugstore, you know, pharmacy, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Places that you can go to get the stuff that you're going to need on a regular basis and orienting yourself between place you live and place you get needed supplies is kind of the a good core start mm-hmm. to, to, to work out. Um, yeah, it's basically. worth taking a day and just like... Like Red is saying, make a list of your primary needs to survive as a human being, like food, entertainment, you know, whatever that is for you, and then take a day and just walk from from that place to where you live, then back to where you live, and then to the next place, and just yeah. kind of get an understanding of where everything is in relation to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're a student, this might include like where are you, how do you get to your classes and whatnot? Uh, do you need to take the bus or the subway, or is it within walking distance? Um, but that kind of like. That kind of spatial geography, sometimes it just really does help to lock it in by getting on your little feet and taking a little walk to that place. Because even if you yeah. don't remember the street name necessarily, you'll probably at least have a sense of the directions that you're going to be going. Yeah. Um, I've went to school in a different city than I've lived in my whole life. And then I lived in New York for a couple of years. And like both times I just took a day and I, I have no sense of direction. <laughs> uh, but I still managed to mostly get around New York City without getting lost through understanding where the grocery store was in relation to yeah. whatever apartment I was living in, etc. Yeah. And on a larger scale, there are landmarks that you can orient around. Um, mm-hmm. If you're in a big city, there are going to be buildings that are taller or more sticky up than the ones around them. And you can be like, oh, hey, I know roughly where I am because I'm with an eye shot of that thing. Um, with New York, if you're in Manhattan, Central Park is kind of a regular presence and you can sort of mm-hmm. orient yourself around there like if you're walking north 
and then you sort of start seeing a point where the buildings stop. You're like, okay, I know what's happening. Um, yeah, Philly, you've there, got the rivers and City Hall yeah. and then some of the historical sites to kind of figure out what part of the city you're in. I was going to say bodies of water are very helpful for this. Um, if you live near a lake or an ocean. Navigate by the sea and the stars. <laughs> well, legitimately, it is helpful to be able to be like, all right, I've hit the water, so I've gone too far in this direction. Or mm-hmm. like, uh, or, or just keeping in mind which side of, you know, you know, if you have, for instance, like if you if you live in Chicago, the lake is kind of just right there, and you sort of always know where you are in relation to it because you can just sort of look over and be like, oh yeah, the buildings stop. Um, if you're in New York, there's rivers. Oh, if you're in Manhattan, there's rivers on either side. Uh, there's Central Park in the middle, so you can sort of always triangulate roughly where you are just from how proximate you are to those. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in D.C., there's the Washington Monument. <laughs> yeah, that's a big help. Um, you can kind of see it from everywhere. So you're going to just notice, like, oh, hey, that's that building I saw before, but it's from a different angle. Uh, and mm-hmm. you'll be able to sort of navigate around there. Um yeah, but basically you're going to be in a probably a smaller, more densely populated area than you've been before. You're just going to start acclimating to the landmarks. Um, and also Google Maps exists and is hugely helpful. So I do recommend that when yeah. in doubt. Um, if if there happens to be someone in your kind of immediate like friend group uh, when you get to college who who's from Philly, take a walk with them. Yeah. Uh, maybe they can show you around a little bit. Uh, there's liable to be, you know, a couple couple Philly uh, natives yeah. uh, at your university. But also the thing about colleges, they're, they're used to this scenario. They're used to a lot of people who are not from the city or place that they're in. So mm-hmm. they they know they have to teach people this kind of yeah. stuff. And, and, and some people like... just aren't from Philly. Some people just aren't from cities. So they have orientations where sometimes they'll just like take you to a neighborhood and take you back to give you the experience of traveling. Yeah. But also college campuses are usually fairly insular so you can kind of get by for a little while depending on what school you might be going to just kind of being in your little immediate neighborhood for your classes and your you know your your nourishment needs for a little bit before you have to you know get used to to navigating further afield Mm -hmm. so Uh, and also just like aside from the bare bones of like how do i walk from point a to point b or get from point a to point b like you are going to just be living in this city for a while uh you know if you're not living in university housing might behoove you to try and find a roommate who's either a friend you already have or someone who has lived here or been in this university for a while or is in the same boat as you and would be willing to walk around and explore together um a city can be intimidating because of how large it is and it is vastly different from living in like a suburban or rural area but at the same time it is just a place where a lot of people are trying to live and go about their lives and do things day to day um So the sooner that you can just sort of get into the rhythm of the place you live in rather than trying to fight it, the easier your experience is going to be. You know, understand the flow of traffic, get the idea of like what time is of night, do maybe things get a little quieter or do I live near a lot of like bars? Is things going to be kind of rowdy around time and should I just be used to that? And just kind of getting an idea for where you are and how people live around you is probably going to give you a better idea of like how to adapt to the city than any amount of like sightseeing certain landmarks or anything is going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to live in this place. You got to just live in it at a certain point. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Philly rocks. Uh, get yourself a pork and prolon from the Knicks. Hang out. It's a good time. <laughs> it's a really walkable city, frankly. A lot mm-hmm. of things are really close together um, and the buses are not to pad. Uh, if you can 
unravel the mystery that is SEPTA's schedule. Get yourself a SEPTA key card so that you can tap on to tap off to everything. That's that's a game changer, actually. That's my one definite piece of advice for Philadelphia. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, all right. Well, this next question comes from Queen Ginger Snap. To everyone, if Kirby absorbed you, what powers would he get? Hair. Hair, yeah. It's just a yeah. wig. <laughs> just the fush. I mean, there's got to be a secondary power set, but mostly the hair. <laughs> um, sleep deprivation? He just gets really tired. Oh, you know the one that makes him like fall asleep? Oh, that's it's that, except he can't fall asleep. He's just lying awake, eye bags oh forming. Oh, my God. <laughs> gets a big cup of just black coffee <laughs> i think for me it's like harold of the purple crayon style he gets a little like stylus and just can draw stuff nice um, <laughs> if kirby absorbed me he'd get a bunch of dumbass opinions about stuff <laughs> <laughs> way too niche topics that never come up in conversation <laughs> Just sits down, pulls up a Reddit, starts doom scrolling. Mm -hmm. oh God. Got me in one. <laughs> uh, oh, man. This next question comes from Bardic Inspiration. To all, what's your least useful skill? Ooh. Huh. Being able to uh, to dead reckon and find wherever I am in an unfamiliar environment was a lot more impressive before Google Maps became ubiquitous. <laughs> this is true. Like, when my dad and I went like traveling and and you know foreign countries, I'd be able to figure out exactly where we needed to go based on like landmarks and distances and directions, like what we were talking about, like navigate from anywhere to pretty much anywhere. Uh, we got lost in Quebec one time and we were able to find our way back to the exact cab stand we needed to get to. Was lost in Florence a couple times. Was able to literally go to a high point on a building <laughs> and look at it and be like, oh, that's where I'm going to. And be like, okay, so this street's that way, that way. And now there's just Google Maps, so there's no fun anymore. I can just be like, click, click, <laughs> okay, that way. Fine. <laughs> that's kind of how I feel. I've been getting better at like reckoning direction from the stars, which is even less practical because being in a city makes that impossible because of light yeah. pollution. Um, but I think overall, my most useless skill, practically speaking, is my rudimentary knowledge of Middle Egyptian, um, <laughs> which I got because I, I was like, this would be cool. It'd be like Indiana Jones or anyone from The Mummy. And yep, that's about as far as that goes. But I don't hang out in tombs very often. Uh, so it doesn't really do me any good. <laughs> uh, there was a while in college where I got really good at throwing coins into people's pockets when they were walking away. And that Ooh. never comes up. <laughs> There's never an instance where I'm like, oh, I want to get rid of this cord. Let me just give it a chuck. Um, but for a while there, like dead reckoning, I, I had like a hundred percent accuracy rate. Now it's been a minute since I've done it, so frankly, I don't even know if this is a skill I have anymore. But yeah, that was. I also have a coin trick, skill. actually. Uh, <laughs> I don't talk about their coin tricks. <laughs> well, uh, I was taught uh, by an older kid in gymnastics how you could um, basically you take two coins uh, in your palms and you sort of slam them down on the table, and then when you raise your hands. Both coins are in one hand because you basically flung one from the other really quick. I found out a way to do it mid-air where it looks like you're just twisting your hands down. It's very cool looking, but it's like there's no there's no point. Like Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got your nose. This is a bar trick to make a couple useful. bucks. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um All right. Well, this next question comes from Jacques. Uh to Blue, thank you for recommending Max Miller's Tasting History. And a question to all. Have any of you tried making any of the recipes from Tasting History? Yes. Uh, yeah, we were literally just talking yeah. about this before the podcast, which is why this question is making it out this episode. Ah, <laughs> uh, good. Um, I've made Sally Lund buns a couple times, and I made uh, Everlasting Syllabub, except I made it non-alcoholic, so it's just whipped cream with orange juice in it. Um, <laughs> it was fine, honestly. 
but Sally Lund's absolutely kick-ass. Recommend. Yeah. I signed and I made Hippocris, uh, the spiced wine, one time, mm. which was really good. <laughs> uh, I have not made anything from the cookbook, but I would love to at some point. Yeah. I haven't done I, too much cooking recently outside of holiday-specific stuff. Gotcha. I did get the uh, the cookbook uh, on pre-order. Very exciting. Uh, really happy for Max. His cookbook just launched uh, this past month. Super, super exciting. Um, and I, I flipped through the pages like, oh, does he have the garam recipe in here? Like, that's the <laughs> recipe that, like, first made him really popular. And then I looked at the intro and he's like, my channel took off because I made a Latin sauce or, like, a Roman sauce called garam. I don't recommend you make it. I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, boy. I mean, if there's one thing we've all learned, it's that people on the internet mostly love seeing you suffer for their mm -hmm. amusement, especially yeah. if it's for a good cause. So, like, when it's like, I'm going to make this disgusting fish sauce from ancient Rome, everyone's like, oh, hell yeah. Yeah, it's like every student who ever took Latin, it was like a, like a Russian sleeper agent code. It's like, garum. Garum. like, that was probably one of the memes in your Latin class was garum. We had, it's like, that's some tasty garum, said no one ever. <laughs> Comedy wasn't so refined back in our day. Oh. Um, High school but, Latin classes. <laughs> really, the, the the cutting edge of humor. But mm -hmm. yeah, no, that was uh, Garam just activated every single Latin student all at once. <laughs> like, must click. Uh, yes, but Sally Lunds are actually delicious. I actually think the, first, good, the night yeah. I made them, I ate like three of them. I don't recommend doing that unless you want to live. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but. Mm -hmm. uh, well, we've got time for, I think, one last question here. So, Red, consider this your five minute warning. Um, mm -hmm. This comes from Dew Milk. Since it's prom season, did any of you go to prom, and what did you wear? Huh. Yes. Uh, in fact, I believe a large number of our high school squad all just kind of went together. Um, mm -hmm. That was the move. Which, yeah, yeah. it was super fun. Uh, there was like seven of us just rolling up um, all on one table. And I had uh, a, uh, a tail coat and a little red brocade waistcoat uh, and then like normal pants and like button down. You know, there's only so fancy you can get with that. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, I went to prom. Uh, I went with a friend of mine and her date and then my date, um, who was just a, a friend who um, I had a prop from one of the shows I had worked on earlier that year that I was jokingly taking to prom. And when I told him this, he said, that's incredibly sad. And then he took me instead, which was very kind of him. But we... <laughs> Wow. Uh, I wore a red dress. It was very fun. I'm at, there's, I have a prom-specific story because it's one of the most disappointing moments of my life and also one of the funniest. Uh, I was on the dance floor. We're jamming out. And they put on the song, um, <laughs> I've Had the Time of My Life, which you may remember from the movie Dirty Dancing where uh -huh. they do that lift when the song really reaches its peak. Oh, and I, I, I had as my date a uh, 6'4 high school wrestler. And I thought, this is it. This is your moment, Indigo. If ever anyone you are at a dance with is going to be able to lift you up and do the dirty dancing lift, it's this guy right here, right now. So I whip around as the song begins. And I'm like, the dirty dancing lift. And he looks at me, blank expression. <laughs> I've never seen the movie, he says. And I did not get to do the lift. <laughs> no! Oh. oh, no. It's fine. It was... It was. I had a good time at prom. I didn't take it very seriously, and I think that's the best way to go about it. Wear, oh, yeah, yeah. wear something you like. Go with a friend or someone that you're gonna have a good time with. Have your do your little dance and hang out. It's gonna be a good time. Um, but also make sure that your date has seen the movie Dirty Dancing before they go. Just in case. Just yeah. in case. Oh god. <laughs> you, you didn't have time to explain before you got to the good bit. It's so quickly into the song do they get there, and I'm shouting over the music on a crowded dance floor like. <laughs> 
dirty dancing the lift doing the hand motions nothing not a not a spark of recognition in those eyes our prom happened uh at the adler planetarium in chicago and we had a view of fireworks yeah Uh, so it was really nice truly a magical evening (laughs) yeah no i had a good time um i went with um uh, my date was uh, was a friend. It wasn't a prompt date. Yeah, it was like, yeah. right. Um, I think we're all in the we took someone like as a buddy kind of. Situation. I took six people as buddies, and it was yeah. great. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that was that was a good time. I think I just wore a a, a suit. Um, I tried to rent a suit. Um, that was a, a trial. I I essentially. Um, got uh requested to ask someone to to prom my junior year uh we didn't have um junior prom it was senior prom and if if you are made to go with a senior uh you can go to prom as an underclassman uh in our junior year a lot of the seniors asked out uh, a lot of the senior guys asked out junior girls so there was a bit of a of an age disparity and a demographic gap so a lot of junior uh, senior girls were like hey um (laughs) Going to need to find a date. So um, myself and uh, a handful of other people in our grade were were uh, politely requested, like, "Hey, this person would love if you asked them." We're like, "Okay, cool, I can do that." Um, <laughs> like all all as as, as friends mm-hmm. and such. And I I was like, "Okay, I need to find a, a, a suit." Um, so I had to find my way through a bunch of very poor quality suit places where nothing fit right at all. Hmm. Um, and like I wasn't even like a material snob. It's like this just this doesn't like the sleeves are too short and the 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 torso is too wide how do you do this um and then for my senior year i was able to plan ahead a little bit more get myself a bit of a nicer suit that actually nice. kind of fit um and then that uh, ended up going better yeah uh, the uh difference in tailoring really changed everything because i had got a suit for blue and science wedding uh and i remember being on the website trying to order like i don't understand how any of this works and yeah. then going into the the actual store and being like just put me in something and tell me what size it is. <laughs> yeah that's what i'm gonna have to do because uh we, we have a friend's wedding yeah. coming up later mm-hmm. this year uh with the same suit distributor and i just uh i i did my best with their measurement and it, it worked out fine but i didn't get mine <laughs> tailored or anything mm-hmm. um uh but yes for uh for prom uh i did not do any of those let's get fitted for a suit i uh I believe I found like a waiter supply place online where I got the waistcoat from. Nice. Uh, and the tailcoat was, there's places that you can just buy like secondhand suit components. So yeah. I just bought a tailcoat. Uh, and in fact, people who, longtime viewers of the channel have seen the tailcoat because in the in the fancy one million video, that's what I'm wearing. Nice. So yeah, it's I, yeah. I kept it around because it was big on me when I was little, but now my shoulders are broader. So, so it just fits <laughs> fine. Um, yeah, I do. I really liked my prom dress. It was pretty, just like a simple red dress. Uh, I just bought it from the X, Y, and Z store on Arlie Emberwear and right, uh, then got it tailored by an incredibly Italian old woman. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> my mom's beautiful. like, we're going in here now. And I'm like, all right, this is happening. Uh, but it, it's too small. Definitely. Mm. I've grown up. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, like when you're yeah, you know, no. a little baby just out of high school or yeah. No you one's know, the same size ones. they were in high school. That'd be crazy. <laughs> no one um, should be. <laughs> no one should be. That's not how it works. Yeah. Uh. Um, but no, prom, prom's a good time. I always, I always tell, I was on the prom committee. <laughs> oh, wow. I was on the class councils. Maybe a little biased. I planned all the dances. They were really fun. Um, I hope anyone who's going to a dance of some kind is going with someone that they like or with some friends that are all going to have a good time. And I hope that you guys enjoy your respective experiences. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, but, don't don't put too much uh, yeah. stock in like prom is not uh, it's whether not or the not you only... get a prom date is not a reflection yeah. of your worth as a person. Yeah, and it's do not, not the... be like me. <laughs> oh no, no. It's also not the only night of your life you're going to have a fun time and get to put on a little outfit and dance. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. will know people who get married. You will have other instances in which you have to get dressed up and go to things. Like, just focus on having a nice time with your friends. It's a nice little hurrah for seniors who might be graduating high school. It's yeah. a, it's a party it, that you get to and go to. And if you want to just get together like a half dozen of your friends and say, let's just all go to prom yeah. together, you can totally do that. Yeah. And yep. it slaps because on the one hand, you're flexing on everybody because you have more prom dates. And on the other hand, you're not even playing their game because it's not a date. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, I knew a lot of people. I went to a, a very, very big high school. We had like 600 people in my graduating class. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would say it was a pretty 50-50 split of people who were at prom between individuals who went with a date and people who just got a group of friends that didn't even bother saying who's going with who. It was just, this is a group of like 10 people and we're all going to go in together on a car or something. Um, yeah. There's... There's no rules. <laughs> yeah. You buy the ticket, you walk into the thing, you know, like no one's really cares beyond that. Once you're in yeah. there, everyone's hanging out with everyone. Just go yeah. have a fun time. It's a fancy more, dress party with food. Yeah. The more chill you are about it, the better. Uh, mm-hmm. Senior prom was a, a wonderful experience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> High school based dramas lied to you by telling you that prom was the season finale yeah. of oh, your no. life. Yeah. It's no, not. It's, it's not. a dance party that you're going to have when you're 18. Yeah. That's it. At most, you'll remember the single greatest song related letdown of your life. And <laughs> And I got to back climb up a banister to look at the fireworks better. And by I say got to, I mean nobody stopped me. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you can live your dreams at prom. I got a new prerequisite for all dates that we watched Dirty Dancing before we went to any function. <laughs> That's beautiful. So, uh, but Red, I do think that we are coming up on the season finale of this podcast. So if you would care to take us out. Sure. <laughs> New season starts two weeks from now. Oh, yeah. We're all going to college. It's a whole new cast. Thank you all so much for listening. As always, we'll be back in two weeks with another exciting episode. Also, we will have new videos out on Friday and then the Friday after that that we will discuss on the video that comes out bi-weekly. No, podcast that comes out bi-weekly. Not that bi-weekly. It's the other bi-weekly. Every Um, other week. (laughs) Twice monthly. (laughs) Bi-monthly, but not that bi-monthly. It's the other bi-monthly. Hurts me. Hey, don't blame me. The English language is formulated this way. I'm just, you know, I've just been enabled. Um, uh, Check out our crowdmate shop if you want to check out the the six of the Nine Realm posters that are up. Uh, I have more. We could probably put them up if people were really curious. (laughs) But these are the best ones, so, you know, what am I saying? Who cares? Uh, And stay tuned for two weeks from now for the thing that those were supposed to be attached to. I think it's pretty fun. I hope you guys like it. it. Yeah. (laughs) The whole thing's a bit of a fog, so I hope it actually is good. Um, Yeah. uh, I think that covers most of our bases. Correct. Yeah. Okay, great. So until next time, I have been Red. I have been Blue. And this has been an Overly Sarcastic Podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Overly Sarcastic Podcast. We'll be back on May 24th with another thrilling installment, but if you miss us before then, be sure to check out Overly Sarcastic Productions on YouTube. Got a question for the pod? Head over to Ask Pod on Discord for a chance for your question to be featured in a future episode. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron. Links to all that and more can be found in the show notes below.